Will you stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? We'll be in 2 Corinthians, and we will start in chapter 8 for two verses, and then we're going to jump to chapter 9 for some more verses. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 and 9. And I think that background noise is good. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. We'll jump to chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, and Paul references a psalm, They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, and their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's an overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This is a good couple of weeks for Lake Avenue, and we've talked about Vacation Bible School, and I have nothing more to add uh, that would say anything different, but what a remarkable week. But also you need to know that about 1 o'clock today, uh, a few hundred students will be getting on buses and going up to Forest Home for the week. So you need to pray for those who work with our kids who have double weeks, like Carol and Blake and Shelby. It's been a marvelous couple of weeks, but they will be leaving to go up to Forest Home. And I can't think about Forest Home and leaving for Forest Home without always thinking about how Forest Home has played such a significant role in my life. For those of you who don't know, Forest Home's a camp that uh, is up in the San Bernardino Mountains. It's been around for a very long time. And, and people meet Jesus at that camp. I used to work at that camp. But, but my relationship with Forest Home started when I was just a kid. We, uh, part of Community Presbyterian Church in Ventura, would go up to Forest Home. But in sixth grade, some of you know my story, in sixth grade my parents got a divorce and I was raised by a single mom. But every summer we got to go to Forest Home and it wasn't until much later in life that I found out that my mom, uh, during sixth, seventh, eighth, all the way through high school, uh, went to the congregation of Community Presbyterian Church and said, um, we re- I really want my boys to keep going to Forest Home, uh, but I'm unable on, on just this one salary to send them. And year after year, Community Presbyterian Church would come alongside Sherry Madison, Sherry Smith now, and send Paul and Jeff up to Forest Home. 
That seventh grade summer is when I became a Christian. My 10th grade summer at Forest Home, I had such a profound experience with Jesus that I said, and the commitment I made was that all of my life was going to be centered for Jesus. So I was a really good Christian when I was at church and Christian things, but I had some other motivations in other environments. So I kind of said, I want to be all in in 10th grade. It's played a significant role. I met Jenny there. I was trained in ministry there. And, and it just blows me away to think that, that there was a group of people in a church who would come alongside a family that they barely knew to make sure that those kids got to camp to hear about Jesus. Isn't that what a church is supposed to do? That's what the church is about. I want to tell you about some of the needs that happen in this church. Um, because we had great need, and the church came alongside us, and so many of us may be disconnected to the day in and day out of what happens around us at Lake Avenue Church. In the last two weeks, just so you know what's come across my desk, one, um, I've had a couple of phone calls, people going through legal issues and asking if we might be able to connect them to an attorney that they could just ask one question to because they don't have the income to ask that question and pay for it. Um, we've had someone come up to us and to me and just say, we just thought you should know that money is so tight for us right now that we are exclusively eating food that we receive from the food bank. Literally a day later, I got a phone call saying from someone, we are, we're upping our donations to the food bank, so can we mobilize some other people at Lake Avenue to give? So in our church, we have people eating from a food bank and we have people providing food for a food bank. This is the time of year where we start hearing from college students who are scared about if they'll be able to go back to school because of the, what it costs and asking if Lake Avenue might know someone or be able to help them continue with their education. People calling with medical bills, needing medical advice, looking for a second opinion, but their insurance won't allow them to get it. Is there a doctor I could call? People who have said to us, we really want our kids to go to VBS, but the $25 fee we're unable to pay, or forced home, we're unable to pay that. So they need help with providing to get to our programs. People calling for custody issues, divorce issues. We have people who have called, one particular phone, phone call I had was a man who needed his cell phone kept on, and I'm from the day where I remember we didn't have cell phones, and cell phones is a luxury, and I went, that's an interesting request, why should we pay for a luxury, until I found out that this man is living in his car, and the cell phone is the only way he can tell potential employment to get a hold of him, and that the $60 a month to keep his cell phone on was significant for him. Friends, there are great needs among us in this church. And in 2 Corinthians, the scripture we just read, there were great needs in the church of Jerusalem at the time. Right? And so in Jerusalem, all we know is that Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. He's, he's touching on a variety of subjects. But one of the things that he is saying, he's saying there's a group of Christians at the Jerusalem church, some Jewish Christians, because they're poor and because they're being persecuted for their faith, they have great, great need. And you, Corinthian church, those are your brothers and sisters. And so when they're in great need, you have a responsibility to give and to be generous to help meet those needs that our brothers and sisters have. Today, I'm not going to build up to a point. The sermon title is Radical Generosity. This whole sermon, this whole morning is about the, the foundational belief that when we say Jesus is in charge of our lives... When we declare what we have sung in songs today and say our lives are all about Jesus and we want to be like him and we want him to have the reign and rule in our lives, the reality is this, that we become radically generous people. 
Paul is calling for that in 2 Corinthians, but we're going to see that it's called much broader than that. So this morning, I have to share with you just three aspects, according to these scriptures, that have to do with radical generosity. And the first one is this. In chapter 8, we have two verses, and we're going to call this first point, the foundation of radical generosity is sacrifice. In in, in chapter 8, verses 8 and 9, we see the foundation for which radical generosity begins, and it's all about sacrifice. Paul uses two examples to communicate the sacrifice. And in verse 8, he says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. The first seven verses of chapter 8, he is specifically talking to the Corinthian church about the Macedonian church. He's saying the Macedonian church, this other church in Macedonia is so generous and you should know about how they live. It's a comparison. It's a motivation. It's kind of some guilt too, saying look at the way these people, because we don't know much about the Macedonian church outside of this, is that they were incredibly generous, but they were extremely poor and they were under severe trial. Paul specifically talks about the Macedonian church saying, they're known for their generosity, and guess what? They're a poorer church than you. And they have more issues than you. They're under extreme trial, and they're under extreme poverty, but they are so generous that people are lining up to give, 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 and give. The foundation of being radically generous is sacrifice, and sometimes, just as Paul used the Macedonian church, We need to be around other examples of sacrifice too. I'll tell you the truth. This is where the generosity thing is a limitation for us, I think, in in the church now where we don't really talk about money. We really don't do that. That's very private. And I'll tell you the truth. I would not know how to be a generous person if I hadn't watched other people do it. I I cannot understand what it means to give all of everything to Jesus if I wasn't in relationship with people who modeled that, who gave me an example of that, and helped me do that. And I think when Paul is talking about the Macedonian church, he's trying to connect a group of people who need some new examples of what it looks like to be radically generous. For me, the, the story I tell often is the first day I got hired as high school pastor here, I was sitting down doing my paperwork with John Wilson, who was my boss at the time. And he didn't ask me if I was going to. He just said, what number, what percentage of your paycheck is going to the general fund? We can set that up right now. You won't ever have to see. Linda can just deduct it. And and I went, wait, that's like my money. That's none of your business, John. And he just sat and laid in and, and, and was that example of what it meant to follow Jesus with everything. He and Betsy, too, they always had someone living with them. And then I'm around the church and I'm noticing the way people serve and the way they give of themselves and their, and their resources and their time. And as I watch that, it has modeled to me what it means to be a generous Christian. The foundation is sacrifice. So he not only uses the Macedonian church as some kind of comparison, some encouragement, he also talks about Jesus. He says it's not just this other church that's sacrificing, that the very reason we gather, the very person who brought us to faith, the reason we are together, Jesus Christ, his life is is illustrated by sacrifice. So if these other people aren't going to motivate you to give, maybe the life of Jesus will motivate you to live. And he uses this language that Jesus was rich and became poor because we who are poor now can become rich. Right, The living God, the living God gave it all up to come live among us, to walk among us, died on a cross, became poor, became nothing, emptying himself. 
So that you and I who have nothing, who deserve nothing, who, who, that we may inherit a kingdom that has purpose in this life and extends into eternity. The foundation of generous giving is sacrifice. Giving up what we have for the sake and care of others and out of obedience to Christ. The foundation to understand generosity is sacrifice. And then in chapter 9, we see the next aspect. And we'll call them traits of generous Christians. There's three traits that I want to point out. First trait is found in verse 6 when he says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Right? If our foundation is built on sacrifice, the first characteristic, the first trait of generous Christians are those who give sacrificially. Those who don't hold back. Those who, who give it all and sacrifice their own time, pleasures, everything for the sake of someone else or something else. And, and, and the reason, part of the reason we wanted to keep this set up in these decorations is because to me it just illustrates the sacrificial giving of so many of part of this congregation in the last week. These sets took hours. This waterfall took over a hundred volunteer hours to put together. If you knew the layers that were underneath it, you would be as confused as I am. In the band, uh, uh, Brian, who's up here, he works down at JPL, and I asked him, did you just take the week off to play in the band all week at VBS? And he said, no, I'm just, I'm, I go in at noon and I'm staying till eight or nine o'clock at night. But this is the sacrifice. Volunteers, a part of this church, who gave up a week of pay or a week of vacation, or a week of whatever they normally do to come serve and be among kids for a few hours a day. Friends, sacrificial generosity is all around us. Generous Christians. The next aspect of a generous Christian, so those who give sacrificially, but we learn this word cheerfully. Verse 7, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. Being a generous Christian is not motivated by guilt. Being someone who gives Jesus all, whether it's our income, our talents, our, our brain cells, everything that he has made us, is never motivated by guilt or shame. There is a huge difference between being convicted by the Holy Spirit and by, being, by living in guilt and shame. If this conversation or any time money comes up or giving comes up or generosity comes up and it causes you to go to some places of guilt and shame, I just want you to know that has nothing to do with Jesus. God loves a cheerful giver. And if you feel guilt and shame, my, my remedy for that is this. Spend more time with Jesus. Understand his sacrifice. Dwell on what he gave up and the joy for which he gave it up and the love for which he gave it up. Let that be an example to you because when we now process what we have been given and to give that up for someone else or for God, it should be a joy. It should be cheerful. Trait of a generous Christian is one who's a cheerful giver, not a guilty giver. And finally, in verses 8 to 10, he says, And God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it's written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. 
Another trait of a generous Christian is someone who gives freely. Someone who freely gives what they have been given. But there is a problem, if you're like me, between freedom and fear. So often, we aren't those freely generous people because fear creeps in. And it looks like this. But if I gave them that, then what about... And I don't know if we can do that because... And all of a sudden, the anxiety comes that if we really follow through on that need, that it might somehow mean we won't be okay. And the Scripture's clear. He's going to take care of you. You act out in faith and follow the Spirit's leading in your life to be the generous Christian, you will be taken care of. Here's the crazy thing. Part of the way you're taken care of is the way we serve one another. So that if there's a time in your life where, where giving is costing you or so, you have a need, then we go to the, you become the recipient of the very environment that you're creating. Freedom. It's a great summer for me. I'm doing three, I've already done one, two more weddings of, of students who were in the high school ministry when I was the high school pastor. I can't tell you anything more rewarding. But there has been a theme in every conversation when it comes to giving because when we sit down and talk about honoring God with a marriage, I'm being, I get to be the John Wilson person now. I get to say, so what percentage of your income are you going to be giving? And, and not all the time, but sometimes that's a new concept for young couples. And what always comes when that conversation comes up is, is fear. I'm, we're just looking at the numbers and I don't know how. I said, do it now. Do it now. Start now. It'll be so much easier to honor the Lord because you will, it will look different in years. Being a Christian who gives freely, trusting that God will take care of you, giving without fear and freely knowing that giving freely is righteous living. You how many times in the scriptures it talks about do not fear for I am with you. Generous Christians, generous Christians are those who give sacrificially, those who give cheerfully, and those who give freely. Finally, being generous is an offering to God. Being generous at its root is not necessarily about blessing a person, but at its root is an offering to God. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. When we are generous with what God has given us, which by the way is everything, it's our very life, it's our intellect, it's our abilities, it's everything. It's every cent, every dime. Remember uh, from Romans a couple of weeks ago? Offer everything to God, your body, your mind, everything. When we are generous with what God has given us, we essentially are worshiping Him and showing Him our obedience through the way we generously give. In verse 12, to carry on with this offering idea, the service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's an overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God again. Yes, there will be people and situations that benefit from our generosity. But the primary reason that we are generous people is so that we can give thanksgiving to God to what He has given to us. Specifically in 2 Corinthians, this offering that people will be giving. And it's really important to note, they weren't at a church where you, you passed plates around. Someone would come knock on your door and ask for your gift. 
I don't want to do that. I don't think that's a good thing for Jeff Massage to do. But those gifts went to the poor. They went to the ministries of the church. They went for Paul to continue to spread the gospel. Those are all incredible things. But the primary reason we give is out of gratitude to what God has given in us in Jesus Christ and the love that he has shown to us. The way we express that back to him is through the way we become radically generous people. Verse 13. Because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Here's another, another aspect of this offering is that when we bring our offering to God, when we become cheerful, when we become free givers, when we become sacrificial givers and we bring that offering to God, this is another way that the world knows who the Lord is. It says in that scripture that when we give those gifts, when we give that offering, others will, will come to faith. Others will be blown away. And this seems to be part of the way the church has been built over the years. Because this way of living where we give away is so completely opposite from the way we're wired. Everything inside of us wants to hoard and keep and build for ourselves. But we have a, a God who gave his son and modeled just the opposite. And now we, in response, offer that back to God. And this is one of the ways that the world knows who Jesus is. I've been kind of getting into the World Cup for the first time. And, and I was uh, scrolling to uh, look at a, a documentary on, on Netflix. And there was an ESPN documentary called A Tale of Two Escobars. Uh, specifically about Pablo Escobar in, in Colombia, who was the big huge drug dealer, pen, um, uh, cartel leader, and then Andres Escobar, who was a, a soccer player for the Columbia team. It's a brilliant documentary that, that watches them both together at the same time what was happening in Colombia. And what I found so interesting, a part of Pablo Escobar's story. So here's a guy who's responsible for some brutal deaths. I mean, thousands of them. Someone who, who, um, who did awful things to people and ordered awful things to be done to people. When he died, the streets were flooded in some of the poorest parts of Colombia with people crying. With tears coming down their face, they said, Our Messiah has died. Because to this day, Pablo Escobar was one of the most generous givers in Colombia to the poor. He built hundreds of soccer fields. He built housing for people in the slums. That kind of generosity is not human and not normal. When we become generous people, it points to something bigger so that even someone like Pablo Escobar is connected to the living God. Now, I'm not saying he was, but I'm trying to build a point here. And the point is this, that when we become radically generous people, it points to something bigger. And, and I don't think we need Facebook finders and drug dealers and companies and corporations to lead the way in what it means to be generous. It's time for the church to continue our roots, and, and we are. I, I, this is not a guilty kind of message. This is an incredibly generous church. Verse 14 and 15. And their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The bottom line is this, when we are generous Christians, when we are generous, radically generous people, we ultimately are worshiping God with our generosity. 
The way we give thanks to God and recognize his reign and his rule in our lives is by being radically generous. This is the way of living that Christ models and calls us to. When we give, when we meet needs of people, God receives glory and we are doing our part to fulfill the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the question this morning for myself and for you is, what is your offering? So often this offering word is so limited for us. It's when the ushers come forward and we, we pass the plates and it is that. It is that. It is honoring God with our finances. But, but I haven't found a way for us to illustrate how we put all of our lives in as an offering. I don't know how you pass a plate for that. And this morning, there's two really concrete ways to, to consider. One, what, what is your offering? Some of you it is financial that, that, that God might be speaking to you. Again, not the guilt and shame, but Holy Spirit leading. But more than just money, what is your life and how do you offer all of your life to God? It's where these care cards come in. I, I want to share with you that there are great needs among us as a church. Jesus, and if Jesus is in charge of this church and our lives, then we will continue to become radically generous people. This year we have a, a few church-wide goals. One of them is uh, we're going to build this incredible facility uh, so that we can steward it better, but one of them is the idea that we really have sensed that the way we are taking care of one another and those in the community, could bring much more, we could bring much more organization to that and we can steward much better the needs among us and the, and the way those needs are filled. So a deacon ministry, a care deacon ministry is beginning. And, and a lot of people have been working hard on this for a long time and one of the ways that we are going to meet the needs that are among this church are for us to consider giving all of our lives as an offering, declaring what it is, how we've been wired, our skills, our talents, our ass, all of it, and saying, yes, this can be used to meet the needs, because why? Because I want my life to be an offering. And it is exciting, and we're going to watch a video in just a moment, and it's going to be incredible the kind of ways we're able to, to meet the needs of this church, but I just feel led to say this. As we mobilize a deacon ministry, where, where now when you need that, that little bit of legal advice, we can connect you with someone who says, I, I can do that for 20 minutes um, a month or every three months, or I need medical advice, and so there's someone who, I'm a retired nurse, so I'd be more than happy to connect with that person for a little bit. Or we have an extra room for a college student who needs a place to live for a little bit. I mean, all of those things, those are exciting. But, uh, but here's the reality is that some of you for the last many years have been living without the church being as clear and available for that. And I just believe deeply that the church needs to say as exciting as what God is doing among us and how we will mobilize and care much better than we ever have, some of you just need to hear an apology too saying that you've been going through some pretty hard things and the church hasn't been the first thing you've thought about as someone to come alongside you and help you. And I just want to offer that apology and say, but we're moving forward and we are all on this trajectory and journey to becoming the kind of people that God is calling us to be. And this one, being radically generous, being the kind of people who meet needs that are right sitting next to us and meet the needs that we will pass by when we walk to our cars, we believe this is the kind of Christianity that God calls us to. This is the kind of Christianity 
that when we say Jesus is in charge of our lives, when we sing those songs, when we pray those prayers, this is the kind of person we become, someone with a foundation is sacrifice, sacrifice, and we give freely and cheerfully and sacrificially all, only, only, only why? Because why we give it all to God as an offering, saying all of our life is yours.